This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hello hikers, it is Bird Shooter, and tonight we have episode 43 at N2 Backpacking. The topic of conversation this evening is the hammock. Some of you ground dwellers may have not made the jump yet, that includes me, and literally I mean jump, but tonight we talk about the fun of taking a hammock into the backcountry, and why more and more people are choosing it over a backpacking tent. On the show we have Mark Bowman. He joins us live from the Teton Hammock Company in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and we discuss some of the advantages of hammock camping, including tips to improve your backcountry experience and some of the common misconceptions of sleeping between the trees. So listen in and learn more about hammock camping. And for those that have their sights set on hiking in the northern Rockies, Mark gives us some ideas for weekend or week-long trips in the Tetons. And he also shares some uh, very interesting tales from the trail. That said, here's episode 43. This is Bird Shooter, and I'd like to welcome Mark Bowman from the Teton Hammock Company to the show. He is an avid backpacker and is a specialist on hammock camping, both as a user and a manufacturer. And he operates out of Idaho Falls, Idaho, one of my favorite places to stop around in the backcountry, the Rockies. Mark, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me. We're excited to be here. Yeah, well, I thought maybe what we could do um, before we talk about hammock camping was just sort of learn a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe some of your first uh, experiences into the backcountry. When, when, out of curiosity, did you take your first backpacking trip? You know, I've, I've been hiking with my parents since I was probably four, um, hiking and hunting and following my dad around the mountains. Um, first backpacking trip that I can really really think of and really remember, you know, would have been with the Boy Scouts. So, you know, 11, 12 years old. So that's been 35 years ago. Um, you know, and on those trips, you know, you go back that far and that's with, you know, the, the external frame packs and we're hiking in Levi's and tennis shoes and no mole skin, you know, just miserable, miserable hiking. But, you know, as a 12 year old, you just really don't care. Yeah, exactly. It's just fun to be with your buddies and be outside. I was a scout too. And I also credit the Boy Scouts for getting me uh, into backpacking at an early age. Absolutely. It's a great program for that. Yeah. Did it ever take you to the uh, scouts ever take you down to Philmont in New Mexico? You know, I've never been there. My my oldest boy and his girlfriend are here right now, and she's actually spent more time at Philmont than uh, I think she's been there twice. But uh, nope, never been there. Yeah, that was a, a absolute turning point for me. Um, that that really fueled the passion, which I was probably 14 at the time. But uh, a great experience. I would take it. She probably went as a venture scout. Is that right? She did. In fact, we were just talking about it, and you know, one of your questions that you have on, you know, for me was, you know, the the most time, you know, hiking in a, in a week, uh, most miles, and it was like, you know, I was looking at the Teton Crest Trail, it's like 40 miles, and we're lo- just looking at her, and she's laughing, because she's like, yeah, I do 80 miles in a week, you know. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's made for through hiking. Is, is, uh, there, is there anything on her radar for long-distance trails? 
Oh, I, I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, she sure likes to to get out there in there in Philmont. Uh, yeah. So your wife sent me, uh, I guess, sort of a little background on you before um, before we got on the phone tonight. And one of the things she had mentioned, and you and I must be similar in age, because I've been hiking about the same amount of time and had similar experiences with frame packs. But um, in the 30-plus years that you've been hiking and backpacking, um, what's the craziest thing? Because you got a pretty good span of years there. What's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you? You know, I was talking with my boy about that, and we were trying to figure out, because we've had a lot of interesting experiences, but probably the most crazy experience we had was um, on the Teton Crest Trail. We're up just below Hurricane Pass, um, so you're about, oh, eight to ten miles from dropping down into Jenny Lake and uh, Teton Valley over by Jackson Hole. So we're we're just at the very base of uh, Hurricane Pass, probably 9,800 feet, I believe. And, you know, we, we're trying to get to our camping spot, uh, trying to beat a, uh, a thunderstorm that's rolling in. And we can see it clear out over the valley into uh, into Idaho. And we're just running up this mountain trying to get to our, our camping spot. As uh, soon as we get there, I get my, my tarp set up and my hammock set up um, and literally had enough time just to set up a tent for the boys and start getting rained on. But the, the crazy thing was the lightning. And so there's nothing quite like being at 9,800 feet with lightning. You're not, it's not above you. You're actually in the clouds and in the lightning. And you could actually feel the electricity, you could smell the ozone. It was just, not only was it crazy, it was just, it was super scary because, you know, you're just waiting to be turned into a crispy critter. Yeah, and um, I know a lot of people climb the Tetons, and, and uh, there's been a lot of lightning strikes where people have been killed climbing, right? Isn't it typically more dangerous for the climbers than uh, maybe the backcountry folks? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's going to be dangerous for both. Uh, my wife actually had a friend that was uh, struck by lightning up there and killed. Um, and the, the crazy thing with the Tetons is it can be a perfectly clear blue sky, and within two hours, you don't even see the clouds rolling in, and you're just socked in with, you know, with these 30,000-foot uh, thunderheads, and there's literally nowhere to go. And especially if you're climbing on the Tetons, you literally have nowhere to go, even down. I mean, you're, you're pretty well stuck. And uh, like I said, she had a friend that was struck by lightning and went down through the through the line, um, injured a, you know several of the people, but uh, she was one that passed away. So yeah, I mean, pretty crazy. I, they have. Uh, I think it's not it's not unusual for them to have incidents pretty much every year uh, with lightning in that area, right? Is that correct? Yes, that's true. It's true. Yeah, I've actually hiked uh, some of the lakes in the uh, in the Teton National Park. There had a, had a pretty wild moose encounter. Um, <laughs> If Bradley, if Bradley I know Lake that sounds if, if Bradley Lake sounds right, I'm pretty sure that was where it was. But um, yes. but you're, you're blessed to live so close to Jackson and in uh, Yellowstone and the Tetons. Those are two really cool places. Oh, it's beautiful area. Yeah. So what what you know with with all that great terrain around you, I'm very curious to ask you what uh, what's your most favorite favorite place to go. You know. Any anywhere in the Grand Teton National Park, um, probably my favorite um, is on the. We always say the the Idaho side of the Tetons is basically the west side of the Tetons. Um, there's a there's a canyon called uh, Alaska Basin. Um, it's about a seven to eight mile hike, but you you go from uh, the valley floor of seven thousand feet up to 
Yeah, you know, roughly ten thousand feet. So in in that six or seven eight miles, you you have a you know three thousand foot elevation gain, which is most of that is at the very last mile, which you know kills you. But there's little little teeny high alpine lakes, uh, probably I don't know ten to twenty of them in this this one area, and it's just absolutely beautiful area. Yeah, and, and when you're down in the valley, like where Jackson is, what's your elevation there? Jackson's right at about six thousand. Um, okay. On either either side of the Tetons, um, at the trailheads, you're you're roughly at seven thousand feet at trailheads on either side of the Tetons. Yeah, I remember it being pretty high. And those peaks, they're eleven thousand, right, up in in that range. Uh, the Grand tops out at thirteen thousand oh, okay. seven. Okay, seven hundred more more than I remembered. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I've skied uh, a couple places around there, and. Um, it's some tough skiing too, right? It's uh, oh yeah, it's a yeah. lot of steep, uh, you know. But definitely your advanced intermediate skier. The ski resorts they they all come right up to the Teton Crest Trail, and basically that Teton Crest Trail is right at about ten thousand feet. So yeah, it's it's a significant uh, climb from the valley floor up to the top of the Teton Crest Trail. Yeah, lo- love that area by the way. And your Idaho Falls, which is roughly how far over to uh, the the park there? We're about 80 miles from Jackson Hole. Um, if we go to you know the west side, that, that Alaska Basin, uh, Teton Canyon on in Idaho, um, it's about a you know, not quite a two-hour drive. Okay. So we're so I can I can be packed up and ready to go and on the trailhead you know in just over two hours. Yeah, that's some pretty good terrain to have in your backyard for sure. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that obviously we wanted to talk about tonight was hammock camping. Um, I understand you manufacture both tarps and hammocks and, and some other gear as well. Um, very curious to ask you sort of as a, a first question, what are some common misconceptions about sleeping in a hammock? You know, and, and I love hammock camping, so we could talk about this all night. Um, some of the the misconceptions or the myths, you know, people are like, oh, it's lighter than tent camping. And that's it can be, but it's not necessarily. I mean, that's it's all subjective on the type of gear that you have. Whether you have, uh, you know, you're, if you're coming from the ground and you have a pad that you're using in your hammock, or you know, a, a heavy sleeping bag. So all of that is very subjective. Um, but it can be lighter than than tent camping. Um, one of the other ones is is expense. You know, like oh, you can get a hammock for twenty bucks, and you know that's that's true. Um, so again, it just depends on what you're willing to pay. You know, outdoor gear you can pay. You know, you can go to, you know, some of the big box stores and pay just cheap, get cheap gear. You can go to your uh, your outdoor store and pay, you know, $200 for a, a puffy coat. So it's very subjective on that. Um, one of the biggest things is, biggest misconceptions is, you know, it's it's a summertime activity. And and for me, you know, it, I, I laugh when I, when I hear that. I laugh at people um, that are like, oh, I... I got to get my underquilt because it's going to be 40 degrees tonight. And I'm like, you know, I camp when 40 is not even my high. <laughs> you know, we've we've we do. Uh, I, I camp in my hammock year round. Um, I've done 17 below. Um, that's that's below zero, not below uh, freezing. So mm-hmm. it's super super cold. Um, all all kinds of snow, rain. Um, the best thing uh, that I've found with with hammock camping is is I actually stay drier in a rainstorm than the, you know, my counterparts that are in tents. Um, so that's, that's one of the misconceptions is like, oh, you're going to get wet. And yeah, I mean, if you set it up wrong, you're going to be wet. But if, you know, you set your tent up wrong, you're going to get wet as well. 
Um, and probably the biggest misconception is, you know, that I hear from people when I'm teaching them about hammocks, how to sleep in a hammock, how to lay in a hammock, um, is it's like I sleep on my uh, I sleep on my stomach or I sleep on my side, so therefore I can't sleep in a hammock. And I'm like, I'm a stomach sleeper through and through. And if you lay in your hammock properly, you can lay perfectly flat on your stomach. And I do routinely. Um, kind of the funny thing is, though, you, you end up sleeping in different ways than you might sleep at home on your bed. Um, you know, so I kind of sleep in a kind of a weird fetal position on my side, you know, in my hammock. But it's it's just the way that I found is comfortable in that. But but yeah, you can lay perfectly flat um, on your stomach in a hammock. And that's just that's just a matter of laying in it correctly. Uh, most people, they get in a hammock and they'll lay down the axis of the hammock, you know, so if you're, you know, tree to tree, they've got their head at one tree and their foot at the other tree. And that's that's not correct. You need to lay diagonally across that axis so that you can push your feet out on the hammock and your head out the other way. And that gives you that that uh, flat, flat lay that you can have in a hammock. Uh-huh. That's the secret. I was trying to envision how you would lay flat in the hammock, and, I, and yeah. you just answered the question. Yeah, the one one thing you can do is you can take your hand, put it in a cupping shape, and you put a pencil across your fingertips and your palm, and that's how most people will lay in a hammock. You can, if you take the pencil and lay it diagonally across your palm, that's that's a good representation. Of, you can see how you can lay in a hammock. So let's take some of the other misconceptions that you had there, um, and, and one that immediately struck me was the temperature because uh, my son had uh, an Eno hammock, which I'm sure you've seen in, in stores, and a bunch of kids on a camp out had them, and they were having a blast, of course, in them. And that's, that's another thing I guess we should talk about is the entertainment value for kids in hammocks. Should we take a, oh, quick, uh, should we take a quick tangent on that one? Let's, let's take a tangent. Let's, let's go off the trail a bit. I like that. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. So, so, well, you have kids, right? I mean, are they big hammock campers too? They are. Um, my oldest is 18, my youngest is nine, and we have you know, so four kids, um, and all all four of them like to camp in hammocks. Um, with my scouts, the the cool thing is it became such a initially it's a novelty, and everybody's like, oh, that's so cool, I want to be in a hammock, and you know I ended up having my in, entire troop, you know, probably 80 percent of them in hammocks. I had a large troop, so you know, 16 boys, and most of them were. We're hanging in the trees. That's awesome. Um, so it's it's just something. It was a new thing to get those kids, you know, excited about camping, excited about the outdoors. Because you know, a lot of them are like, I don't want to go sleep on the dirt. And you know, with this with hammock camping, that's it's kind of a I don't know if it's a resurgence for some of these kids or you know, just does create some uh, some excitement for them that they might not necessarily have had before. Yeah. Well, so on that topic, you, you made me think immediately. So I. I was Cub Master for a Cub Scout pack um, the, the last f- three years I was actually Cub Master, but then was running my kids' den the two years before that. But um, a bunch of them took hammocks, just like you described on a trip. And uh, my son was one of the older kids. He was about to age out of Cub Scouts, but he pitched his hammock really high, and I couldn't figure out why he had it so high because I'd never seen him pitch it before. <laughs> and then it occurred to me he was trying to get it high enough so that the uh, first and second grade kids couldn't jump in it, right? <laughs> and so that they tried and tried and tried to get up into the hammock, but they just couldn't do it because they were too little. Oh, but, that's funny. Um, but, yeah, a bunch of them had hammocks, and... I can very much relate to the uh, fun factor for the kids. Um, Absolutely. They they will spend hours in those hammocks um, just conversing and throwing a football back and forth and everything else. So it's it's definitely a way to up the fun factor on a trip. 
But um, so to get back to the weather, though, because on this same trip that I was just describing for you, um, my son and some other kids had full intentions of spending the night out in their hammocks. And it, it was cold that night. It probably got down to 32 degrees, maybe even a little colder. Um, and about 3 a.m., they came scrambling in. Right. I, I'm not sure if it was because they heard coyotes howling in the distance or if it was truly <laughs> the temperature, but they definitely came in. Um, how do you how do you make hammock camping warm to the degree you were talking about, which was what, like negative 14, 15 degrees? 17. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cheat you out of two degrees. Uh, you know, especially here in our in our area, um, like I say, 40 degrees can be the high most of the time. Um, even in the summer, my my lows uh, are are approaching that forty degree mark, like you're talking about, um, forty, thirty two. You know, down in that area, that's that's a typical even summertime uh, low for us. Um, so we've we've had to kind of you know think about you know how are we going to stay warm because if if you've ever slept in a hammock without any insulation or slept, even slept on a trampoline out in your backyard, um, that air underneath you or even a cot without a a pad, um, you know how how that cold air underneath you will just suck the, the warmth right out of you. Oh yeah. Um, and so in the, in the hammock community, we've, we've had to figure out, you know, how do we stay warm? Um, and initially, you know, for somebody that's just coming from being a, a ground dweller, that's what I call people on tents, um, from being a ground dweller to actually sleeping in a hammock. Um, most people already have some insulation. You have your backpack and pad, you have your, you know, your Neo air, your Thermarest, whatever you might have. Um, and so the easiest thing to do is just stick that in the hammock and then sleep on top of that. So that's going to insulate you from the cold from below. Um, that, and that's honestly how the Teton hammock company started was I did that cause I, I started out with an Eno just like your son did. Um, and I was, I'm like, okay, how do I, how do I stay warm? I put the pad in there. And as soon as I laid on it, as soon as I moved, rolled over, that pad was sleeping on top of me. And I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so, so I had to figure out a different way. So another way that you can do is you can take that pad um, so that it'll stay in one spot. And I, and I tell all my scouts to do this. Just stick it inside of your sleeping bag. It's not the most comfortable thing, especially if it's a closed cell uh, thermorest. You're going to sweat a little bit. You cover that up with a blanket or something. Um, but that'll keep it at least underneath you and keep you insulated from that cold. And, and at those temperatures, at 32, 40, you know, whatever, um, you're going to be plenty warm throughout the night. Um, another option is the, you know, the, my next evolution in the trying to stay warm camping in a hammock is I took my sleeping bag and I unzipped the, you know, down by the feet and I ran the hammock through the sleeping bag. You know, because I started researching underquilts and top quilts. I'm like, okay, I, I don't have, you know, $400 for an underquilt just yet. So I ran the, the hammock through there, and then I just would wrap that around me so that the, the sleeping bag was around the hammock and around me. Um, and that's that's a good option. You can do that. Um, and then, obviously, once you move up uh, to an underquilt, top quilt system, um, that's where it's at. I mean, you just get in, and it's like a downy soft cloud that you're sleeping in all night. So those are two terms I was not familiar with. Um, okay. Under quilt and you, you called it a top quilt. Was that right? Correct. Correct. What, and can, so can you describe those? Yeah. Basically what an under quilt is, is okay. You set up your hammock and then underneath your hammock, hence the name under quilt, um, take picture a sleeping bag 
that has a shock cord or some sort of cordage at, at either end that's hooked to the same suspension that your hammock is, but it's underneath your hammock. And it's just very lightly touching your hammock on the bottom. Um, and so it's, it's basically wrapped around the outside of your hammock. Um, the advantage with that is, you know, your, your insulation is never compacted. So you can go out and you can spend, you know, $150 on a nice NeoAir pad and, you know, $400 on a nice, I don't know, zero-degree marmot bag. But as soon as you lay down on your, on your, in your, uh, your sleeping bag, you've just taken that half of your sleeping bag and crushed it down. So the only insulation you have is what, whatever pad you have, that NeoAir, your Thermarest, um, cheap blue pad from, from Walmart, whatever. Um, so that's really the only insulation that you have insulating you from the ground. Um, with a ham or with a uh, with an underquilt, I have for my zero degree bag that I did, you know, the 17 below, um, roughly four inches of of down, three and a half to four inches of down, and that's never compressed because it's if you can picture it, it's it's falling away from the hammock. Are you following me? Mm-hmm. So it's it's suspended underneath you and it's it's still touching you, but it's falling away from you. So it's fully lofted at all times. So you have that full amount of insulation all the time. Um, I've actually slept warmer in my hammock than I ever did on the ground. My feet are always warm. Um, you know, sleep on the ground in the winter here, my feet were always, always cold. Um, but in the hammock, I, I can actually feel the heat going to my feet and warming them up. So the, so the under quilt, like I said, it fits underneath your hammock. The top quilt is either, you know, a, a specifically made top quilt, or most people have a sleeping bag that they just, that's what they're using as their top quilt. So your yes. insulation on top. Okay. So, so top quilt, bottom quilt, under quilt, just, uh, it's all about insulation. Actually, if you get a chance, there's a series we have called rookie mistakes at N2 backpacking. And uh-huh. one of, one of those is not having something underneath you to insulate you from the get of the ground, right? Because mm-hmm. the ground obviously does completely suck the life out of you temperature-wise. <laughs> so uh, that makes sense. But um, what, what about if you're in 60-degree weather? I mean, could you get away without having an underquilt? Basically, the research has shown, and if, if you go on, I mean, there's different uh, forums and websites. Hammockforums.net is a great resource for hammock camping uh, information. Just a wealth of knowledge there. Um, and things that I've read there, and then personal experience, about 80 degrees, even though that sounds warm, um, you do feel the colder air below you, um, especially with a with a nylon hammock. It just feels, I don't know, it almost makes it feel colder than it probably is. Um, so about that 80 degree mark is kind of where I draw the line. I still use my my underquilt. I I use it year round here, um, and you can. There's ways to vent them. I mean you undo some of the shock cord so that it's not quite as tight up against your hammock so that it does allow some colder air to come in between you and the hammock um, or between the hammock and the, the underquilt. So that, that does help you uh, moderate that temperature below you. And then obviously on top, you, you know, just use a lighter weight blanket or sleeping bag or just throw it off you know, all the, all together. Right. And so I see you sell tarps, too, and obviously they would have two purposes. One would be to obviously keep the rain out. But, um, I mean, the tarp serves as insulation to some degree as well, right? Doesn't it kind of trap the heat? Um, not necessarily. I mean, it, it'll keep the wind off of you to a certain degree. Um, the way my tarps work, they, they come within about a foot of the ground. 
Um, so you do have a considerable amount of air movement coming up from underneath, um, but it'll keep like direct wind off. Um, as far as like being in a tent where you can zip it up and it actually builds heat in there, um, it's not going to do that uh, with the tarps that I have. Okay. So, um, I mean, but when, when you go and deploy your hammock for overnight sleeping, are, you're always taking a tarp, I would imagine, right? I do. Um, again, just because of the as cold as it gets uh, in my part of the country. Um, and then uh, we have snow in July, so you just never know what kind of weather you're going to get. Um, but I, I just like it. I, I do like to see the stars at night, um, but the wind is what really what really gets me, and that's why I keep the keep the tarp on just to keep the wind off because that'll that'll suck the heat out of your out of your quilts quicker than anything. Yeah, so that was a question I had for you with stars, right? I mean, that was immediately what came to mind about mm-hmm. what was cool about the hammock was you could lay in your hammock, you could look at the sky, um, but but how do you pitch your tarp with your hammock so that you can look at the sky and then if you get wind or rain or whatever you can very quickly pull that tarp over your head and not get exposed absolutely yeah um the way that i uh the way i deploy my tarps i usually have it has eight tie outs uh but i only use four stakes and so mine it it has doors that fold up on either end um and i i pretty much batten mine down batten the hatches down completely um, but you can take the tarp, you can lift one end, you can use your trekking poles, uh, put it in uh, like a porch mode so that you have, you know, if the wind's coming from behind you, you have that side down and then the other side can be up so that you can see out and have a view. Um, another way that you can do it is if you're comfortable with the weather, you can just set your set your tarp up on the ridge line above your hammock um, and then just pull it to the side without any stakes. And so if it does start to, to rain or or any kind of inclement weather, you can just pull that over you so it's just draped on either side of you. I mean, that's that's another option. There's multiple ways of setting it up so that you can, you know, retain your view or uh, be completely sheltered if that's what you need. Okay. And so, um, you know, speaking of setup, obviously trees are something to tie off to or are critical. I mean, you, you, in the southeast where I am, you would have no problem just about anywhere I go backpacking, finding trees to pitch a hammock, sure. right? You would probably have an advantage because you'd have more places to camp than if you were in a tent. But, I mean, your area, you have um, more open areas. So how do you sure. manage around that? Well, obviously, I mean, any good backpacker is going to research their their route, where they're going. Um, leave a leave an itinerary with one of their family members, right? So, yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, ideally. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I'm, obviously I'm going to research my area. Um, I always told my scouts, no, we can't go camping there because there's no trees. Um, so, you know, I, I made the decision on a lot of the times where we went based on if there was trees or not. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I mean, you can find you can find options. We've camped under, uh, we've hung under um, shelters. We've hung uh, off you know, roof racks of vehicles. Uh, I know people that have used rock climbing anchors and, um, you know, have, have hung in, you know, completely treeless areas with rocks. Uh, lots of different options like that. But yeah, in, especially along the, the Teton Crest Trail, a lot of times you're going to be above the tree line. So you, you want to make sure your camping spots are, you know, below that tree line where you have uh, adequate uh, trees to, to pitch your hammocks. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, one of the areas out in Wyoming that I have not been to that I'm dying to go to, uh, which is not far from you, is um, the Wind River Range, right? So You that, and me both. <laughs> <laughs> that immediately comes to mind as a place where you might be a little challenged with hammocks, correct? That is true, and I've I've not been through there, and I, I know people that have gone through there with hammocks, and honestly, I don't know if, if they've had to, to go to ground or not, so uh, I can't definitively answer that, but they're... There are trees in that area. Uh, same with the sawtooths um, over in uh, central Idaho. Yeah. So it's kind of kind of the similar similar type of uh, topography there. Um, but yeah, you just gotta gotta be familiar with where you're going, or talk to somebody that's been there before that's you know done hammock camping. So I have hiked the sawtooths, and you know there are areas in there that have adequate trees, but you obviously can get above them very quickly depending on where you are. Sure. Um, there are there are other options as far as uh, lightweight and portable hammock stands. Um, I've not used them, but uh, there was there was one on uh, that was a Kickstarter campaign just recently. Um, guy out of uh, he was actually out of uh, Wyoming. I'm not sure how close to the Wind Rivers, but um, you know, I mean, that's it's going to add like six pounds to your to your gear. But if you're in a place where you know there's no trees, or if there's only one tree and you have one hammock stand, I mean, that's it is an option. So. So let's talk about weight for a second. That was one of the questions I had for you, and that is, um, you, you know, what is, how does your gear, and when I say gear, I'm mainly talking backpacking gear, right? Because a lot of the people who listen to this podcast go deeper into the backcountry. But what is it, what it is, it typically weigh if you're in a tarp and if you're in a hammock, they probably weigh separate amounts. But, um, you know, obviously you have different equipment, so there's going to be a range. But sure, uh, can you speak to that? No, absolutely, um, and that's that's one of the myths too. Is people are like, oh, that can be lighter, but you know, it can be lighter, it can be heavier, just depending on what your setup is. You can go to again some of the box stores and and get a cheap hammock and cheap straps, but they're weighing, you know, three pounds easily for some of the cheaper cheaper options. Um, with my setup, my my complete sleep system shelter um, weighs six pounds. And uh, just under six and a half pounds. So that's my hammock, uh, the suspension for the hammock, my tarp with its ridge line, um, and then the two quilts. So basically, sleeping bag and a half. Um, so my complete system is uh, six and a half pounds. Okay. So I mean, that's in there with the, uh, as you called them, the ground dwellers, right? Because yes. I'm thinking, I'm thinking my tent's <laughs> probably two pounds. Uh, my thermos is probably a pound, so now I'm at three. And my, ba- my bag is probably two, so I'm at five. Um, but that doesn't include my. Well, I guess that, that's pretty okay. So you're right in there. You're right in there with the ground dwellers. I mean, do you get do you get the challenge on the weight from the ground dwellers much, or is that not usually a, a knock against the hammock uh, style camping? No, I'm absolutely. People people wonder that, and and a two pound tent. You got a fantastic tent because most. Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, entry level or average uh, two person backpacking tents, you know, they're going to run about six pounds, you know, with your footprint, with your um, rain fly, all the poles. Um, if you're doing, and, and again, I understand you guys are uh, back east, do the Appalachian Trail and, you know, cut the end of your toothbrush off, you know, here, <laughs> <laughs> here it's, uh, it's a little different. I mean, there, people carry a little bit heavier stuff, I think. Uh, maybe it's just the, the cold weather gear too. I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, most of your a lot of your tents are going to range between six and eight pounds on your you know two to three person tents. Um, 
but again, you can you can farm some of that that weight out to your buddy who's also sleeping in the same tent. So that's that's one of those things where it's uh, you know it can be lighter, not necessarily though. What, so I agree with you on the weather, right? Because we're not getting anywhere close to you know sub uh, sub zero temperatures <laughs> here in the southeast, yeah. not normally. Um, and then also, in all fairness, and this is really more for the listeners, um, the, the tent that I quoted is a one-man tent that could no way in hell put two people in, right? <laughs> so um, so you have a point. I, I do have a two-man tent that's probably um, at least an extra pound, like three, three and a half. So that would sure. push you, put you right in the ballpark of what you're talking about. Right. Um, let, let's Did- talk about quality, though, because that was the other thing that you brought up was um, – you know, just about quality of tents. You know, my daughter has a very inexpensive pink Kmart tent that someone got her as a as a gift. And if I tried to get in that hammock, I didn't mean to say tent, I meant to say hammock. Um, I don't think there's any way it would last five seconds, right? Right. So how do you compare some of the hammocks that you see in the stores? The Eno is probably the 100-pound gorilla. But how do you know what to look for in terms of quality with a hammock? You know, one of the things that we do with the Teton Hammock Company, uh, and that's that's the main difference with us, is um, we basically engineer and design our gear for you know expedition quality gear. Um, when I'm up at, like I said, 9,800 feet, and there's going to be you know a rainstorm coming in that could potentially turn into a snowstorm, or I might be stuck there for a day or two. I don't want to be with the you know the twenty dollar hammock that may or may not you know, hold me up. I don't want to be with a a cheap tent or a cheap tarp that I can't trust. And so that's what we do is we, we engineer all of our gear with extra reinforcements, extra stitching, um, to withstand, you know, the super harsh weather that we potentially can have in the, in the Teton range. Um, and all the while keeping the weights, you know, basically the same, if not less than some of the, the big box, uh, or hundred pound gorillas that you just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, and when you're in the backcountry, you, you do not want to play around with inferior quality um, shelter. If if the hammock is where you're sleeping and you're not, you don't have a tent as a backup, you definitely don't want to play around with quality, right? Absolutely, especially, especially where you are. Um, what? So on that topic, a great question for you, Mark. What is the uh, worst weather that you've ever experienced when you've been hammock camping? <laughs> um, my wife and I, well, family and I, we were. Uh, up on Death Canyon Shelf, um, that should give you a little little indication of what the ter- terrain looks like when they call that, it Death Canyon. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't sound good. <laughs> it's a little foreboding, doesn't it? Um, anyway, we had a, a rainstorm that was coming in, and we had talked to the rangers beforehand, and you know our permit because so we're we're inside of Grand Teton National Park, so we had a permit to camp, um, but it was actually up on the shelf, which is again that's at about the ninety five hundred. Uh, foot elevation. Um, and I asked him, I'm like, you know, with this storm that's coming in, if we camp down uh, in the canyon, are we going to be okay? And it was late September. Um, and they were totally fine with that. They're like, you know, you got to do what you got to do, if, you know, to stay safe. Um, so anyway, we, we made the judgment call and came down off of the shelf into Death Canyon itself, uh, which is a, a great move because in the, in the valley, uh, not, not the canyon that we were in, but actually down in the valley in uh, Idaho Falls, uh, there was a storm that came through, and, and in one night there was over 500 lightning strikes that were uh, hitting all over the area. Wow. Um, and we got the tail end of that storm, so we could hear this thunder 
you know, just it kept getting closer and closer and rolling in. And luckily we, I mean, we had lightning and, and it was close, but it wasn't anything like they, like they were experiencing down in the valley. But it rained the entire night and the entire day the next day. And, and you know, walking out with, a, with my nine-year-old daughter um, in rain for eight miles, that was, that was probably one of the most uh, harrowing experiences just because it was so wet and, you know, you had to worry about frostbite or not frostbite, um, hypothermia because it was just super, super wet. And, you know, when you're at 45 degrees, 50 degrees, you don't feel like you're that cold, but you're, it's, it's getting pretty, pretty scary. Yeah, that, those are the kind of memories, you know, as a child, you'll remember the rest of your life, like right? being with your dad and, uh, oh, you yeah. know, just, uh, you know, being a trooper and just getting through oh, it, right? And and she was the toughest one of the group because her brothers had said, oh, you can't go on this hike. That's a, that's 15 miles. You can't do that. And so oh, yeah. she was going to, she was going to show them that she could, and she didn't complain at all through that rain. So another question I had for you, too, was about wildlife encounters in your hammock, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, what, one thing that immediately comes to mind is that in a tent, although you're really relatively no more safe than you would be in a <laughs> hammock, uh, at least you have this, uh, I guess, maybe it's sort of a, a, a belief that you're completely walled in and that nothing can get oh, yeah. you, right? Yeah, um, you, you take that zipper and it goes, zzz, yeah, exactly. hey, I am totally safe from that grizzly bear now. Right, right, right. Well, let's talk about that because you're in grizzly country. What What's the craziest uh, wildlife encounter you've ever had while you've been in your tent? Uh, in my hammock, you mean? Oh, I keep saying tent. Sorry, hammock. <laughs> yes, that's okay. hammock. Um, not not me, but my uh, my friend that got me into hammock camping you know, a number of years ago, his his craziest thing was having a skunk walk right underneath him and brush the bottom of his hammock. Um, you know, so that's, that's a little exciting when you can smell the thing coming and then it brushes you and off it goes. Um, probably my, my best wildlife experience was, uh, last, the end of last summer, we were up in Alaska basin, which is, um, again, on the, the West side of the Tetons and obviously grizzly country, black bear country. Um, and again, at that same elevation I'm talking about, you know, uh, above 9,000 feet, and we're just we're looking for the animals. We're we're being uh, as bear safe as we can. We have our our food stored on one side of a lake, and we're on the on the other side. And you know, we have our our food up in a bear bag. And I look out. I'm like, hey, look, there's a bear, and it goes right underneath our bear bag. She didn't even look up and smell it. She just kept on going. <laughs> Her and her and her cub, and then we just watched them go up the the mountain. But it was uh, what a powerful animal! She she goes uh, two thousand foot elevation gain in about thirty seconds. They're just amazing animals. Yeah, now, you said it was a grizzly or a black bear. She was a little bit too far away to tell. Um, just given the the terrain that we were in, I would I would think that she was a grizzly, but a lot of black bears in the same area. But she was a big bear. Yeah, and you know we have a lot of. A lot of difficulty with black bear here in the, in the southeast, North Carolina, Georgia, where I do a lot of hiking. Um, but, I mean, you guys have grizzly, right? That's a totally different game. I, I wouldn't call it a game. It's a totally different situation. Um, <laughs> yeah, so how, black, do you man, how do you manage around that, just out of curiosity? Uh, we just try to be as, uh, you know, practice as much bear safety as we can. I mean, obviously, don't store your food in your in your tent or your under your tarp, you know, or in your pack. I mean, keep all your food, you know, a distance away from you. Um, cooking away from 
your your sleeping area. Um, I actually like to change my clothes after I've cooked because I don't want any of that smell, you know, from any of the food on my clothes because, you know, in a hammock you're you're basically a little bear pinata, and I don't want to be uh, <laughs> I don't want to be a bear pinata. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, something that will not work in your favor. Yeah, yeah and we, that that actually sounds very familiar to the. Uh, the training the Alaskan Rangers give you before you go out in Denali. I mean, almost exactly what you said to a T. So, uh, and, and I always carry bear spray. We up in, uh, in the Teton range, I always have bear spray with me because you never know when you're going to come across one. There's, there's bears everywhere. They were, they were there before we were, they'll be there after we're gone. So they'll always yeah, be there. Sure. Well, so I've, I've done some hiking in your area. Um, and, and I know how the bugs can be in the summer. <laughs> so that was the other thing I wanted to ask you because uh, you know if you're a ground dweller was that your word there ground that, that's that's not my word but I'll uh, I'll take credit for it so <laughs> I, I love that by the way <laughs> but if you're a ground dweller you know typically your your tent is going to have some mosquito nesh you know uh, something mm. to keep the bugs out how do you manage around the bugs in the in the hardcore summer months you know a lot of times. Um, there's different ways to do that. A lot of people will use like just a bug net over their head because they've got their sleeping bag or their top quilt on them. Um, so they'll put like a bug net on their head just to keep the bugs off their face. Um, I actually use a, a specifically made bug net that goes completely around my whole system, not the tarp, but around my hammock and the, the under quilts. So I have that false sense of security with a zipper. I unzip it and I get in and I zip it back up. So I'm safe from the bears and it keeps the mosquitoes away. Okay. Uh, that works too. So I know, I mean, you, you obviously have done a ton of backpacking and I'm dying to ask you, I know you're passionate about the hammock, but what uh, other pieces of gear are um, true to your heart? <laughs> there's there's a couple pieces I won't go into the backcountry without. Um, I was listening to your, I think it was your latest podcast on the, the 40... Oh, 40, 40 pieces of gear that you can't live without. Uh, yeah, that was an outside uh, magazine. Uh, yeah, yeah. List, list of top 40. Yeah, top 40. And you guys were talking about the uh, the pocket rocket, the MSR pocket rocket. And I love that little stove. Um, but my go-to stove is the MSR reactor. And I just love the how quickly it'll boil water. Um, the, the system itself is, you know, obviously heavier than a pocket rocket. But I don't have to carry as much fuel. Um I mean, it's just it's just a a blowtorch of a stove. So, MSR reactor. It does have a little coffee press, a little French press in the pot. You know, so those of you that like coffee, it's it's an awesome little piece of equipment. Um, and then obviously a headlamp. You got to have a headlamp. Oh yeah. Um, I'd I'd say a knife, but my boys always have you know like seven knives in their pockets, so I I don't worry about my knives because my boys always have something to cut something with. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Uh, the Swiss Army knife was... Uh, I, was I heard that, I heard that. It was, it was a popular item on our trip, let me say that. <laughs> One thing we haven't talked about is the price range of your hammocks, because, uh, I mean, I guess tents, they have a wide variety of prices. I'm sure that's the case with hammocks as well. Can you, absolutely. Uh, can you kind of get into that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. And, and hammocks do range, you know, dramatically on their price. Again, you're, you can pay just about anything you want for any kind of out, outdoor equipment or gear. Um, you can go to, you know, like say the big box stores, you can get a hammock for $20. Um, but again, it's not going to be as comfortable as, you know, Teton hammocks. And the reason why, um, my hammocks are wider, they're longer. So you get that diagonal cross axis lay that we were talking about earlier. Um, 
that you can't get with a smaller, cheaper hammock. And and I'm not knocking the the smaller hammocks by any means because I I love the cheap twenty dollar hammocks because it gets people interested into it. They're into the into hammock camping. It gets them into it. Gets them trying it, and then they'll go to a camp out or a you know some sort of gathering. They're like, how come you look so much more rested? And then <laughs> I then I can explain. Well, my hammock is bigger. It's more comfortable. Um, it's like a it's like a queen bed versus you know. California King versus your your twin beds, um, but to answer your question, my hammocks range anywhere from sixty to eighty dollars, depending on the type of fabric that you use. Um, the eighty dollar one is basically a a, a woodland camo, um, and it's my supplier is just more more for that hammock. Um, so roughly in the seventy dollar range, and if you look at, I mean, Eno's Grand Trunks, they're all kind of in that same range. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that's very reasonable because you're going to drop for a good tent. You're going to drop at least two to three, maybe even four hundred bucks, right? Oh, absolutely. And so. and my tarps, my tarps range from you know one fifty to two hundred. Um, so like if for you guys back there, if you don't necessarily need to keep out rain, see our rain and our snow doesn't fall vertically; it comes horizontally at us. So <laughs> it, I've I've actually woke up under a cheap tarp with snow on top of me underneath the tarp because it's blowing through. All right. uh, so that's, you know, if you have just a tarp that's, you know, with no doors, that's probably in the 150 range. Um, and then my, my four season, four season tarps are, uh, right at $200. And, and how do these things pack down? Cause my son, like I said earlier, has an Eno <clears> and if I pronounce that right, and it's yeah, about the size of my fist for the hammock itself. And then he's got a bunch of straps, which would be the size of my other fist. So together, you know, large grapefruit, maybe. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure it varies depending on what you buy, but what are we talking about in terms of size? Yeah, size. Um, as far as my hammock, you know, an Eno hammock, you know, a single, they call them a single nest, so a single person hammock. Um, there's way uh, right at 16 ounces. And so if you figure that, that 16 ounces and that, that grapefruit size that you're talking about, um, mine are right at 11 ounces. Um, they're a foot and a half longer. They're a foot wider than just a, a standard Eno hammock. Um, and it packs down almost smaller than, well, actually smaller than their, uh, than that size that you're thinking of. Um, and then they have an extra, an extra bag for their straps. Um, probably their most popular strap. Um, it weighs about 11 ounces for the two straps, minor three ounces for the pair. So significantly smaller. I actually put my straps inside of the same bag as my hammock. Um, there's, like I say, it's two different uh, two different bags. So it can be it can be smaller, um, depending on what kind of straps you have. Straps are very. Most hammock campers are very uh, individual and particular on their strap suspension system. Um, but you know, if you just go go get some off the shelf, that's that's what you're looking at is about 11 ounces for the other guy and and three for mine. Okay. And you mentioned single person hammock. Um, is is there such thing as a two person? Um, that other company does have one that's a double person hammock. In my mind, there's really no such thing as a two person hammock. Yeah, <laughs> I was just sitting here wondering that. I could envision myself rolling on top of my hammock I, mate. You know. Yeah. If if you want to, I mean, it, it's good for maybe at the beach or you're just hanging with your significant other and you're just, you know, chilling on a Friday night. But as far as backpacking goes, there's no way I'm sleeping in a hammock with somebody else unless 
it's a dangerous situation and you know their gear has failed and you know that's the only other option that's the only thing i can think that you would you know have somebody sleep in your same hammock because i mean obviously you think of the physics of a hammock where does everything go to yeah right right to the middle so yeah if there's two people in there you're going to be you know eating somebody's elbow the whole night and it's just it's not going to work <laughs> so yeah so no i I make I can make extra large hammocks, but I don't make a two person hammock per se. Um, but if if you need a bigger hammock, I can definitely put one together. But I don't believe in a a double person hammock. That's it just sounds uncomfortable to me. Yeah, I'm, st- I'm still trying to get my my <laughs> mind around that one. And so your hammocks are all uh, available for the listeners to view at tetonhammocks.com, correct? That's correct. Teton hammocks with an S at the end of hammocks. So tetonhammocks.com. Okay, and you also have other accessories. Do you want to talk about those for a second? Um, I do have some other accessories. I don't manufacture those. I actually get them from um, uh, one of my suppliers. It's Dutchware Gear. I think his website is dutchwaregear.com. Um, but he he's a oh, he's a god in the hammock industry or hammock uh, community. Uh, but he makes the best. Uh, suspension, the best hammock suspension, the best tarp suspension, uh, any kind of uh, tie-out material that you could need, um, whether you sleep in a tent, whether you sleep in a hammock. Um, he has all kinds of gear for him. So I'm, I'm kind of plugging him because he's he's got some fantastic uh, stuff, and it's all super lightweight, uh, either Amsteel line, uh, titanium hardware. So great stuff. But that's that's what I use for all my tie-outs. Okay, that sounds good. And to shift gears on you for a second here, I understand that your wife is a podcaster. So I she thought is. Maybe, maybe we could give her, a, and I know you've worked on her shows. Can you, <laughs> uh, you want to give her a quick plug for her show? Absolutely. I'd love to do that. And I have worked a little bit on her shows. Um, I've produced uh, 185 uh, podcasts for her. Um, she does a podcast called theluminousmind.net. Or, I'm sorry, that's the website. Um, but it's the Luminous Mind podcast. And she basically talks uh, anything alternative education, whether it's homeschooling, world schooling, unschooling. Um, I hate the public school system. I love the public school system. You know, anything you want to talk about with education, she's willing to talk about. Um, and she's she's been doing that, like I said, two years now. We have 185 episodes. So uh, take a listen. There's We talk about anything that changes your changes your paradigm, your thought process on not just public education, but just how you learn as a person. I mean, we talk about how to help your finances, how to help. Um, we talked about exercise, uh, traveling. We do a lot of, our family does a lot of uh, international travel. We've been to Europe awesome. a couple of times. Um, cool. And so she, she'll talk about that and how to do that uh, inexpensively. Um, different tricks that we've learned. So it's not just a education podcast per se, but uh, basically based around changing your paradigm, your thought process on how people learn. Okay. Well, great. Well, she was the one that originally reached out to me. So uh, Mark, I'm glad she put us together for sure. Yeah, I am too. Um, So I'm going to ask you a few final thought provoking questions if you're ready. Oh boy. (laughs) Brace yourself. (laughs) I know. So I love the Tetons. I love them. I, and actually Yellowstone, too. I mean, it's such a phenomenal area to hike. The wildlife in both those places is amazing. Yes. The elk, the, uh, I mean, catching trout out of the lakes. Um, I mean, God, I could go on for hours. But um, 
if, if, if a listener had a three-day weekend to go backpacking, where would you send them? Uh, three-day weekend, um, I would do uh, – I love Yellowstone, but I love Tetons for backpacking more. Um, Yellowstone is awesome to drive through and you go see all the paint pots and the mud pots and the geysers and all that. Um, hiking in the backcountry is, is super cool, but I always feel a little claustrophobic in there because of the trees. And maybe you guys from back east wouldn't feel that as much because you're, no. you're, you're in those trees anyway. I didn't even notice it. I thought yeah. the place was wide open. That's uh, funny you yeah. say that. But I, I like to get up in the Tetons and, and, again, get up above – you know, close to the tree line or up on these, these shelves where you can see, you know, for miles, I mean, hundreds of miles, I mean, out over the Teton range, um, you can see the Tetons. It's just beautiful. Um, all the, the high alpine lakes. I just love the, the way the air feels. Um, but for a th- three day trip, I would send people, um, start on the, the west side of the Tetons up Alaska basin. Um, and I would hike, it's about an eight mile hike into the basin lakes. Um, which is the very top of this this canyon, and all of the the Teton Range, all of these canyons are are glacial formed canyons, so they're they're really flat, you know, relatively flat for the first, you know, for the most of the most of the canyon until you get to the very end of the canyon, and then you're just scrambling to get up to the top. You know, you have two or three thousand foot elevation gain, um, but then you have these lakes, high alpine lakes everywhere. And it's just fantastic. So I would do Alaska Basin to the Basin Lakes spend a night there, and then take the Teton Crest Trail over into Cascade Canyon. Um, and at that point, you have to have um, a permit to camp inside of the, inside of the park. Um, but beautiful canyon. You're right at the base of the, uh, the Grand Teton. Um, and then as you come out Cascade Canyon, uh, you know, spend night two in that canyon. And then you come out at uh, Jenny Lake. Oh, yeah. uh, you can ride, ride the, the boat across Jenny Lake and then... Head into Jackson Hole for a nice microbrew and a hamburger. Oh, that's a pretty lake too. That's why it you got me excited there. It's beautiful. Um, I mean, and one thing I got to say too quickly, Mark, is like in the southeast, we don't have these high alpine lakes, and I mean, it, they are phenomenal, especially when you don't get to experience them frequently, right? Right. They really are phenomenal. But, oh, uh, beautiful, beautiful area. So, if you had a week. What would you recommend if, if a listener had a week off of vacation? Um, where would you send them? And I mean, you have a lot to draw from there, right? You, you uh, not just to your east, but you can go northeast. You can go straight north. If they had a week off, oh, there are so many places to go here. Um, and, and I'm not familiar with hiking up around Glacier. Um, it would be a beautiful area to go. It would take a week to hike through there. You you asked about the Bob, yeah, and I actually Bob. had to. I had to look that up. I'm like, well, what's the Bob? Um, but the Bob Marshall Wilderness Area, and it's right below Glacier National Park, and I think it's about 200 miles worth of uh, trails, if I remember reading it right. But anyway, beautiful area up there. Um, again, I would steer people towards Teton Crest Trail, but that's just because that's where I'm at. Um, and the Teton Crest Trail, you can through-hike that, and, and you can laugh when I say the word through-hike, but it's a 40-mile trail. Um, so nothing like the AT, but... Uh, you know, the elevation gain is going to make you feel like it is, I think. Oh, I'm sure. Um, but the Teton Crest Trail is, there's so many places you can camp along there. The One of the things that we like to do is is ride the tram at the Jackson Hole uh, Mountain Resort, Ski Resort. Take the tram up so you, you kill 4,700 uh, feet of elevation gain 
just riding the tram to the top, and then you're actually on the trail itself, and then you go, so you're at the south end of the trail, and you can just head north, and it's 40 miles that you can just go on all kinds of tangents, you know, dozens of lakes, uh, dozens of peaks that you can bag, um, all all in the shadow of the Grand Teton. So it's a fantastic place, and that would definitely be a good week uh, trip to do that. Yeah, and that tram has phenomenal views because it's, uh, you know, windows all around it. I've ridden it before. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, that's actually a hot tip, Mark, for flatlanders like myself. They come from <laughs> a 1,000 feet. We, yeah, we can basic, basically cheat and go straight to the top of the mountain. I love that. That's right. Yeah, but if, if our, if our uh, headache doesn't, uh, you know, impede us from hiking the next day. You know, and, and it, it does... It does help you cheat a little bit, but just so the, so your listeners have an idea, uh, Teton Crest Trail, if you go from one end to the other, your total ascent is 9,681 feet of ascent, and your total descent is 10,779 feet. So, And that's over 40 miles? Over 40 miles, you're, you're going up almost 10,000 feet and down almost 11,000 feet. So it's, it's not a flat trail by any means. You're up and down and up and down. <laughs> Mark, I got to tell you, have you ever been in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park? I have not, but I'm dying to get back there. We did a, uh, we used to do a annual 40 mile hike every winter in the Smokies. I did it for probably uh, six or eight years running. Uh huh. And uh, our elevations were always um, 10,000 plus. We had one, I think, that was 18,000 gain, 18,000 loss. Holy smokes. Yeah, so even the Smokies back east, people don't think about them as being uh, a lot up and down, but uh, I, I think an East Coast person might be able to hang out there. Oh, absolutely. So, We'd love to have you. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, hey, I really appreciate uh, the uh, information about camping in hammocks. You've inspired me to uh, get one for my next backpacking trip. Absolutely. Just go to tetonhammocks.com and I can hook you up. You can find us at Facebook um, at Teton Hammock Company. You can find us on Instagram uh, at Teton Hammocks, um, and they can email me anytime at sales at tetonhammocks.com. And then if they want to keep keep their eyes open, we're going to have a Kickstarter campaign uh, the first week of June where we're going to launch our first tarp, um, the Teton Crest uh, tarp, and hopefully we can get a bunch of people interested in uh, hammock camping and camping in just nasty weather, just gnarly, nasty weather. That's what we like. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, it's it's also nice to camp in a hammock in nice weather, too, right? I don't know anything about that, but I'm sure it sounds fantastic, but I don't know. <laughs> well, you have definitely made the case for your equipment being um, weather-tested. So uh, that, that gives me some comfort that at least the, uh, the uh, design is sufficient to survive just about any condition. You know, I mean, if you can, if you can take your tent and leave it at home and just... It's like, okay, I'm, I'm throwing in my hammock, I'm throwing in my tarp, I'm not taking any other shelter, and go through the Tetons in late September and feel comfortable with it. You know, that's, that's the people that we're uh, trying to help, you know, because I, I don't take my tent with me as a backup. My, my tarp is my backup. It's my plan A and B, so. That, that is a statement. It, you're, you're not just a uh, maker of the product. You are a user of the product. Absolutely. You eat your own dog food. I <laughs> I eat my own dog food. I was actually looking at a dog bone, a milk bone dog biscuit the other day, wondering what it tasted like. So there you go. Well, <laughs> hey, uh, Mark, thanks for being on the show, and um, 
next time you see a picture on my website, I just may be in one of your hammocks. Awesome. I'll hook you up. All right. Thanks. Thanks again. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of Into Backpacking and is copyrighted by Into Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at intobackpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com.